Uh, our next guest, by the way, has written a brilliant book on one of our, I wouldn't say our, our least talked about prime ministers, but certainly from our generation. And he just passed away a year and a half ago. His career was utterly fascinating. It's called John Turner, an intimate biography of Canada's 17th prime minister. And we're going to talk about the book with him for sure. He is TVO's Steve Pakin. It's always great to have you on, Steve. Thanks very much. And, and the, the reviews on the book, nobody ever knows, but they're, uh, they're stellar. Congratulations. Well, thank you for saying that. And yes, uh, I, I've been tickled at how wonderful they are so far. And I hope you can hear me. I've woken up with a bit of a case of laryngitis this morning. I'm not, but I'm still my regular upbeat chipper self. So I hope that comes through. I hear it. I hear it. Um, you would have been front and center doing a lot of coverage in 1997 of the Ontario teacher strike. And there were a lot of comparisons last week and obviously early this week into some of the tension that uh, Mike Harris, John Snowblin's a name that instantly there's former teachers like my parents who the hair on the back of their neck stand up when they think about John <laughs> Snowblin, even though he didn't last very long. Do you see any parallels between 97 and, and the, uh, the two week strike and what we just went through? Well, I think the, the most interesting parallel is that everybody who thought Mike Harris was the biggest bully going and who was prepared to, you know, ramrod whatever he wanted through the legislature and take on teacher unions and fight them to the tooth and nail, uh, needs to remember that Mike Harris never threatened to use the notwithstanding clause of the <laughs> Charter of Rights to suspend the rights of teachers. He, he was prepared to do political battle with teachers, but he wasn't prepared to do constitutional war with uh, education workers and so on. And, uh, you know, for what it's worth, and, and this circles back to John Turner, because he was a small D Democrat. He loved democracy. He used to say, democracy doesn't happen by accident. You have to participate. And I think Mr. Turner would love the fact that there's been a lot of participation in the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. The government appears to have overreached the teacher, the teacher, all of the unions, the public and private sector unions. Greg, you and I've been around the block a few times. I've never seen a press conference where two dozen union leaders show up to say, sorry, but you can't suspend our rights. And as a result, uh, Doug Ford did. Seems like he made a pretty good decision. He decided to take a step back from the ledge and they're back in bargaining. Okay, democracy unfolding as it should. Good. I, I was saying yesterday, Steve, do you see a political loss for Doug Ford? I get it's a walk back, but you, me, many people criticize politicians for being tone deaf, not reading the room, not reading the way the wind is blowing. You can say a lot of things about Doug Ford and, and this government. They seem to sense things early and they reverse course very quickly on a lot of issues and they just did. And that's a sign of political maturity. I, I, I don't like getting into the, you know, he blinked or she blinked mm. or, you know, this one, uh, you know, overstepped or uh, I, I, I try to avoid that stuff. I'm not interested in, you know, who won, who lost. Uh, I like to sort of analyze it from a from a, you know, how was how did this advance the cause of of democracy and good in the province of Ontario? That's the question I like to look at. And, you know, you you'd have to say that Doug Ford's initial decision certainly was not found with favor. Every poll shows that he overreached when he used the notwithstanding clause. But the second decision, to put a little water in his wine, to use his words, <laughs> that one seems to have found more favor, and we're back on track now. So that's good. He, he made a bad decision at first, according to the public. He made a better decision second, so good for him. Steve Pakin's kind enough to join us from TVO's The Agenda, which you can watch at 8 and 11 o'clock every single weeknight. Um, it's amazing as well when we think about that sort of legacy that the 97 strike uh, had and, and Mike Harris's common sense revolution. I'd make the case, I wonder if you would, I don't think labor relations in the province, when it comes to education, ever really ever really got back on track after that. There's always been that simmering tension underneath, even for the 12, 13 years of, of liberal governments. Would you agree with that? 
Well, yes, but I'd say yes, but let's remember that that the and and I'm not saying this in a pejorative way, but the education unions um, have not found favor with any government in the history of Ontario. Let's remember they helped defeat David Peterson in 1990. They helped defeat Bob Ray in Mm -hmm. 1995. They certainly encouraged Mike Harris to head for the exits, uh, maybe before he wanted to in 2002. Uh, they went to court against uh, Dalton McGinty when he was premier. They had a lot of problems with Kathleen Wynne. You know, the reality is that, that education sector unions hate every government that they have to work with. <laughs> uh, maybe hate's too strong, but they certainly have no, uh, they find no favor with any of the governments they have to work with. And, and you might say that that's all part and parcel of the system. Their job is to advocate for their members. They do it very well. Um, you know, and the, the result is we watch it unfold and we hope that people uh, that common that uh, saner heads prevail in the end. And, and so far that's happening. It, my recollection, 97 and, and, you know, my parents both being teachers, they were ticked. They went out two weeks and they thought oh, it's a yeah. little bit like running a marathon. It's like, well, we're 15 miles in quitting now would be rather silly. Let's go the full 26.2. And teachers were beside themselves when the they felt the unions cave. They felt Eileen Lennon, that, those are two dirty words for several years afterwards, caved to the provincial government and they got very little for losing two weeks of pay. Is that your recollection as well? Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, I think one of the things Mike Harris proved was he had a different way of doing business. Every predecessor of Mike Harris's, I think if you want to go back, he got elected in 95. So if you want to go back 30 years before that, all of the predecessors, when the, when the thing got really, really hot, uh, they found a way to climb down and to, find, and to make a deal. And one of the things, one of the reasons Mike Harris was such a, an historic premier was that he said, no, this is what I believe. This is what we're going to do. And you can put 120,000 people in the streets and protest it. They didn't call it a, um, a strike. They called it uh, days of action. It was mm-hmm. a political mm-hmm. protest. And, Mike, and the lesson of Mike Harris's years, I would suggest, one of them was, if you really stick to your position and you think you have public opinion on your side, uh, you will win. And Mike Harris's government did win. I mean, they went through all that and they got reelected with the exact same percentage of the total vote. A little more, actually in 1999. So, uh, you know, who's in the right matters a lot. And and this government is as good as any government at reading the polls and realized that more people were siding with the Education Workers Union and therefore they had to pivot and they did. But that's what I see with Ford. And that's why I said it earlier in the show. I there's not much counterbalance that the uh, that the other other parties can utilize her. First of all, neither has a leader right now. So as admirable as Peter Tabbins and John Fraser are stepping in and pinch hitting, there's not a real quarterback under center for either of the opposition parties right now. And when when Doug Ford does that, Steve, when he does that premier dad thing, when he says, I don't want to fight, when he tries to be jocular and tell a relatable story about how he got a tie from a fan of his, there's not much to counterbalance that. Mike Harris never had that tone. Doug Ford does. Uh, you know, uh, call me old fashioned if you want, and I'll plead guilty to that. <laughs> but to me, there is something about and for those of your listeners who are a little bit older and who can remember back to the 1970s and 80s, there's something about the way Premier Bill Davis ran Ontario. There was a kind of reassurance. It was a reassuring way of running the province. It was, I don't want to get too far out over my skis. I don't want to have too many fights. I'll have the fights I need to fight, but I don't want to have to fight everybody all at once. And when, I mean, to me, the biggest decision Doug Ford made that was helpful to his government, and I would suggest was uh, uniformly responsible for his reelection back in June, is the fact that he stopped being this sort of bombastic, 
a bull who brings his own china shop with him wherever he goes, as somebody once said. He changed that approach, that, that overly populist approach, to more of the Davis approach. And by that, I mean more pragmatic, more common sense, more middle of the road, more reassuring, less having fights mm-hmm. with everybody. I think that's still where most of the people in this province are, and premiers who take that approach tend to be rewarded for it. And we can see now Doug Ford the second time around, not the first time around, returning to that approach. I want to ask you a question about the Turner book in a sec, but that's where I look at and go, I feel like the Ontario Liberals, Steve, are 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 going to have to find a way to rebuild from the ground up a foundation. I, I thought about that with the labor dispute and thought there's a lot of people that will never, ever lean in too far in, in the NDP and the union's direction. There's a lot of people that think Ford and the conservatives are too heavy handed with issues like health care and education. Watching the Liberal Party try and reframe this because they need to. It's not just who the leader is. It's what they stand for. If they can reframe that, I think they can come up the middle and dominate again. But I don't know. They got to make two really good choices in those departments. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. And, and the reality is this is the worst decade that the Liberal Party of Ontario has had since the 1940s. I mean, you've got to mm-hmm. go back that far to find a decade where they had two elections where they ended up in third place. So the Liberal Party is in a historically cataclysmic condition right now. Now, it might be, you know, this stuff's all cyclical, right, Gray? I mean, I know when David Peterson won in 1985, there wasn't a liberal government federally or provincially anywhere in the country. His was the first. And if you look around the country right now, Justin Trudeau's success at winning three governments in a row, admittedly, not huge mandates, Mm. but he has won three in a row. You know, that has resulted in a lot of liberal governments disappearing across Mm. uh, across the country. Same situation here. The, 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 you know, the pendulum goes out, the pendulum will come back in, and we'll see. The book is John Turner, An Intimate Biography of Canada's 17th Prime Minister. One of the things I've heard you say about it that I think people would find fascinating, anybody who's like me that just loves elections, Turner knew that he was you know, going to eat a bit of a sandwich in 1984, stepping in for <laughs> Pierre Trudeau. But he really did think he had a shot in 1988. Free trade was was really on the ballot. The FTA was big. And I did, too. That must have been crushing for him not to get the result back in 88 or not to just gain more ground back. Well, you got to remember that in 19, you're quite right. In 1984, he was taking over from a very unpopular Pierre Trudeau. And he did tell his daughter, you know, I'm not sure it's going to happen this time. But I think if I can hang in there, rebuild the party, rebuild the party, particularly in Western Canada, where it basically it disappeared. He said, I think we got a shot in 88. And then Brian Mulroney handed him an issue that he could get his teeth into free trade. Right. He looked at the deal. He analyzed the deal more than anybody in the whole country. I mean, he, he was a lawyer and he literally dog-eared every single page of that agreement, looked through it and decided it wasn't good for Canada. Now, you can argue about whether that was right or wrong, his position on that. But the reality is he had a great leaders debate in 1988. He was in first place with about mm-hmm. uh, a week and a half to go, ten, two weeks to go. Had the election happened sooner rather than later, which was clever of Brian Mulroney to have the debate when he did because it gave him time to yeah. come back, Turner would have won that second election. But uh, as, as Alan mm-hmm. Gregg, the pollster for Brian Mulroney, put it, John Turner has built a bridge of trust between himself and Canadians and we Tories have to bomb that bridge. And they did. They spent two weeks throwing everything in the kitchen sink at him, and they ended up, Mr. Mulroney, winning a second consecutive majority. Yeah, it's lost in history that the Liberals gained 45 seats in that election. It just it felt like the same failure in 84, but they made huge ground up. I got to run, but the book is great. Let's talk about it more as, uh, as uh, we get closer to the end of the calendar year. And rest that voice. Happy to. Anytime, and thank you so much. Steve Pakin from TVO's The Agenda.